Welcome to TCC Alive, a podcast of Tulare Community Church. Good morning this morning. How's everybody's week's been this, this week? Everybody have a good week? Good. Mine's been a little rough. Um, I have a wife and a baby at home, uh, so that's been kind of rough. Yeah, she's there, but she's got a runny nose, so look, don't look too close. Um, but we do have this thing called a nose Frida at home. Um, it's kind of crazy. Some of you new parents know about it. It's basically like a tube with a, a, a straw attached to it, and you put it right up against the nostril, and you just suck on it. It takes all the, the snot out, right? It sounds about as good as it does, right? It's kind of a crazy idea, but it really, really does work. And uh, I had a really rough go of it this week because on the box, there's just a ton of directions for what to do with your baby using that thing. There's nothing there for how to use it on your wife. So um, <laughs> she just wouldn't go for it. I don't know. Wisdom. What was I thinking? That's the, the series that we're in. Uh, we're going, going through the book of Proverbs, and I hope you've been reading along with us. Uh, if so, you should have seen a trending topic come up a few times by now. It's what we're talking about today. It's why they did that song, Friends. We all need friends. We all want to be in friendship. We are designed to live together with people. And we see that in Genesis. God creates us for relationships, and he wants us to live out our faith in community with others. And friendships are a great place to practice Christian living. And Solomon, the writer of Proverbs, he knew the importance of this, and he wanted to share with his son why it's important to pick good friends and how to pick good friends, because he knew that he would be spending a lot of time with his friends. And it's funny when you think about it this way. Solomon, a dad, teaching his son how to pick good friends, because that's what we do today as parents. For example, I went over to my uh, mom's house this week, and my mom has a baby book for each of us kids. And so I was looking through uh, childhood memories, and in them, I wanted to look back and see how many of the friends that I used to have, that I used to hang out with, are now my friends today. And when I looked at the pictures at some of my old birthday parties and old teams I was on, I actually have a few of them, they're going to scroll behind me, don't laugh. Um, but I was, as I was looking at a few of those pictures, there was a lot of those kids that I didn't recognize. I didn't know who they were, kids who I called friends at one point. And when I asked, you know, who, who is this person, it became more and more apparent to me that I wasn't the one that picked my friends early on. My parents picked my friends for me when I was really young. Why is that? Because, well, we don't really know what we're looking for when we're looking for friends at an early age, right? And so it tended to be that the kids that I didn't remember were probably friends of my parents' friends. And the kids that I played on the team were friends of my parents' friends. They put us all on the same team. And uh, when I thought about, well, how, do, how was I picking my friends when I was really young? You know, when I got a little bit older, how, how did I go about picking friends? And it was usually some dumb reason, like how popular they were. Did they dress really cool? Were they good at sports? Uh, were they able to protect me from the school bully if I needed it later on? Those were the reasons that I had for picking friends. But even then, I remember my parents second-guessing some of my friendship choices. And at the time, I remember blowing them off, upset that they didn't approve. But in the end, they were always right. Mom was always right. They knew what was best for me. They had the wisdom from life experiences. And I like to think some godly wisdom from the Bible that helped them with some discernment too. Now Solomon talks about the characteristics 
of good friends and how we should pick good friends in Proverbs. So let's take a look at just a few. The first one, good friends love at all times. Proverbs 17, 17 says this, a friend loves at all times and a brother is born for adversity. Now a true friend loves when it's not easy to love. A true friend loves when they don't feel like it, when it doesn't fit their schedule. Even in the midst of adversity, it's pretty easy to tell when your friend is a good friend. The brother that this text is referring to goes beyond just a blood brother. Now, I have two blood brothers, but I have quite a few others in my life that I would consider brothers that match this description. Guys who I know would face adversity with me tell you a story. One time in high school, I had a friend of mine uh, of the opposite sex that started dating a really bad dude, okay? And I made it pretty clear with my big mouth that I didn't approve. Anyways, this guy and all of his buddies walks up to me at school, and uh, he is not happy, and he's ready to, to fight me. And at this point in history, I weighed a whopping 110 pounds soaking wet, Okay. I was not very big. This guy's two grade levels ahead of me. I'm a sophomore. I don't even know how he found me. I'm in one of the most, like, where the sophomores go and hide, right, in the dark on the campus because nobody cares about the sophomores. And he, he comes right up to me, and he starts telling me about what he's going to do to me and how he's going to hurt me and all of this stuff. And then his tone changes, and he starts to slow down a little bit and back up. And all of a sudden, he stops talking. Now, I don't know what's happening in this moment. I think I'm just hoping to myself, maybe he just realizes who he's messing with, right? So in that moment, I try to puff my chest out real big. Yeah, you know what's going on. And then I feel this big old elbow rest on one shoulder and then another one, right? And as I look back, there were some of my closest buddies and what looked like to be the entire football team. And one of the biggest guys that ever came through Tulare Union tells this guy standing across from me, we're going to have a problem here? There was no problem that day. There was no problem ever after that, right? This is an example of what it looks like to have guys, brothers, who will go through an adverse situation. They walked right up to a situation that they had no business in, that I deserved to be in, and they went through it with me. Adversity will come knocking at your door. And God has designed a system called friendship so that we never have to go through it alone. One quick caveat. I think that too often... We try to measure how good of a friend we are by how much time we spend with people. I just had a friend call me not too long ago, and and I hadn't talked to him. I hadn't spent any time, hadn't reached out to him. And he goes, hey, after talking to him, thanks for being such a good friend, man. And I was like, it was like a gut punch. I was like, I'm thinking to myself, what is he talking about? I haven't reached out to him. I haven't called him. I haven't texted him. I haven't hung out with him in in a long time. And what he was talking about, he was like, the fact that I can call you. And know that you've been praying for me, that you're willing to pray for me. The fact that you're willing to go through this hard situation with me tells me that you're a good friend. And I wish that I was a friend like that to others. And I think that too often we use that metric of time when we should first use how much and how often we are actively loving them. Are are we available to love them when they need it? Do we love them in the same way that Jesus loves us? That should be the first metric that we use when we say, am I being a good friend to my friends? The second one, good friends give honest counsel. Proverbs 27, 6, faithful are the wounds of a friend, but the kisses of an enemy are deceitful. Now this proverb is teaching us that in order to be a good friend, we must be willing to wound our friends with loving correction when it's needed. 
Now, we all understand what the word wound means. We can all conjure up an image of a wound that we've had or a wound that we've seen or we've dealt to someone or something. Wounds are not fun. Wounds aren't easy. Wounds don't feel good. But to wound a friend in faithfulness with truth and with grace, that, the Bible says, is true friendship. If we care enough to heal and to restore someone, then we must be willing to speak plainly and honestly when it's needed. Now this also means, on the flip side, that we have to be willing to accept this type of honest correction from our friends. And it's weird, but we have to be willing to say, thank you, friend. Thanks for that wound. Wow, that hurts so good. Now, if you could please just help hold me accountable so that I don't have to have you wound me like that again. That's what this verse is talking about. Proverbs 27, 9. The heartfelt counsel of a friend is as sweet as perfume and incense. Now, this verse shows us that the counsel that we give to our friends, the counsel that we receive from our friends needs to be kind. Too many times it's either one or the other. Truth, but no grace. Grace filled, but no truth. No ability to wound. And we should take comfort in knowing that if it's heartfelt, if it truly comes out of the heart, with compassion and love for our friend, that it should be received well. When I thought about this in my own life, I'm thankful for my wife, because my wife has no problem wounding me. She speaks openly and honestly, right? But she does it with grace. And it's always so helpful. Now, my brothers, on the other hand, we don't exactly do the whole grace part well. It's all truth, right? When we're talking about wounds, we serve up wounds with a side of, like, road rash or something. It's like, ah, I got the truth, but did you have to go that far? Because that one kind of, that stung a little bit, right? That, that cut a little too deep. That we haven't really got that grace thing. But it's important that we as societies, we as a society, we have to do better at the grace side. In our day and age, in order to present the gospel well to our culture, a culture who is already kind of closing their ears, we have to speak plainly, but we have to do it with grace. The next one, good friends encourage godly character. Proverbs twenty-seven seventeen: as iron sharpens iron, so a friend sharpens a friend. Now when we choose the right friends, they sharpen us. They knock the rough parts off. We get better when we're in a good friendship with a Christian person. Now, when your friend pushes you to be more like Jesus in your words, in your actions, in your deeds, you know that you have a good one. You're being sharpened. You're not being made dull and useless. So the question that we have to ask ourselves this morning in this place is, do I have a friend in my life who has the permission to sharpen me? Now, that's not an easy process, sharpening a knife. That's pretty, that's pretty, you know, rough. Do we have that? Do we have that person who, in our life who we said, yeah, you have the opportunity, you have the ability at any point in time when I start to stray away from the path that God has put me on, what you know to be right, that you can speak into my life, that you can wound me, that you can sharpen me so that I come out on the end sharper, better, more focused on what God has called me to do than what I was before. Proverbs 13, 20, walk with the wise and become wise. Associate with fools and get in trouble. Now this verse proves how important it is to choose good friends if we want to be wise. 
And when I look at the entire book of Proverbs, I understand that it's talking about wisdom, but I have to constantly remind myself that it's talking about the true definition of wisdom. Wisdom as defined by God. Wisdom through the lens of the Creator. The lens that's fixed and focused on the kingdom of heaven, not earth. So it's important to understand that sometimes what's being taught is counter to worldly wisdom. How our fleshly desires would define wisdom. And Proverbs points to us towards wisdom that leads us to developing the character of Jesus in our own lives. That's what this whole book is pointing us towards. Yes, it's pointing us towards godly wisdom. But if we take all of that is taught there and we look at the life of Jesus, what you will see is you will see a direct comparison, a direct link. Jesus' character represents all of the wisdom that is being taught here in Proverbs. Worldly wisdom oftentimes means making decisions that benefit your fleshly desires, regardless of how it affects others, regardless of how it sizes up to Jesus. And I think that too many people have lost large portions of their lives because of who they chose to befriend, because of who they chose to seek wisdom from. Years that they're never going to get back, decisions that cost them so much. All of that that could have been avoided had they sought out Scripture and good biblical friends. We have to understand that we as people are suggestible. When we get around people that we connect with, that we agree with, people that we look up to, we have this nasty habit as people to start to mirror their behavior. And this gets all the way down to like the little stuff, right? It gets down to looks and speech. Here's a great example. I have a terrible problem of taking on other people's accents and vocabulary as my own when I hang out with them. Okay, this is honest truth. I kid you not. It's a true story. Sean and I are on our honeymoon. We're, we're in Mexico. We're in the pool. We're hanging out with, with a bunch of people. All of a sudden, we meet this brand new couple, right? And we're talking with them, and they share with us that they're from Texas. And they have this amazing Texas accent, right? And about halfway through this conversation, I have the greatest Texas accent going on, right? I mean, I got this Luke Bryan thing going, and I can't stop it. I didn't even know it was happening, Right? And about midway through, Sean is pinching me under the water, kicking me because she is so nervous and embarrassed. She thinks that this guy's just going to wall and hit me, right? And I didn't know afterwards. I was like, what are you you doing? Why were you doing that? And she's like, the entire time, halfway through, you started sounding like Chuck Norris. What is your problem, (laughs) right? And it's been this way ever since. I don't know what this problem is. But we do this because we are all suggestible. We take on characteristics of people that we're around. We become like our friends, whether we're five years old or we're 95 years old. Age doesn't matter, even though we tend to think that it doesn't. We tend to think as we get older that, oh, I'm set in my ways. No, you're not. You start hanging out with somebody different, somebody that you look up to, somebody that is your new buddy. Watch how you start to mimic them. That's why it's important to pick good friends. To hang out with wise Christian people. So the question is, are your friends pushing you towards godly character? Are they sharpening you? Are they being a great example to mimic? Or are you becoming a fool? Mimicking the, world, the world's way of living. The next one, good friends give you space. Proverbs twenty five seventeen. Don't visit your neighbors too often or you'll wear out your welcome. This is a tricky one, all right? 
We want to be good neighbors and we want to be good friends, but we don't want to overstay our welcome. We all know what it's like. We've all hosted a party, right? We've all had that one guy, that one person who never gets the signal. They just don't want to leave, right? You do the whole, right? I think I'm going to hit, hit, the, hit the hay. It's time to go to bed. And they just still stay there, right? And I saw something recently that's going to prevent all of this. This will never happen again at my house. In fact, I've already ordered it at Amazon. This is going to be my next party. Maybe some of you guys have seen it. Check this out right here. Look at that. This is the only decoration you need. It says, please leave by nine. Just hang that over the food. There's no excuses. Anybody starts to linger, you just point right to the sign, right? If you have to say anything extra, you just dial 911 and have them pull them out. But what is this proverb really teaching here? It's that good friends provide space for their friends to be themselves. A good friend knows that in the space that they provide, that there's room for their other friend to know and to grow in their relationship with God. They have room to make their own choices, to make their own mistakes. You have to give them space, but you also have to be ready when they need you, to love them during all things. God allows us space. God allows us to make our own choices, to make our own mistakes. Jesus did that with the disciples, right? He let them make their mistakes. He let them think through things. He didn't tell them every single step of the way what to do. He gave them space. But on the flip side of that, our God is a God who doesn't have the leave by nine sign up. Our God is a God who wants us to come in, who wants us to be in his presence, who never, ever shuts the door on us. And that should be good news to us. The next one, a good friend is faithful. Proverbs 25, 19. Putting confidence in an unreliable person in times of trouble is like chewing with a broken tooth or walking on a lame foot. And you know that feeling. We've all been kids when your teeth are coming out, right? You're getting your new teeth. Biting into something with a bad tooth and it gives way. It hurts and it's frustrating. What about a bad knee or an ankle? You got some uneven or loose ground and you start to walk and all of a sudden you realize you can't trust your knee, your ankle, right? You fall. You expected those things to be there, to fulfill their roles, to do what they were made to do. And that's what an unfaithful friend feels like. When you need them, when they said that they would be there, especially during times of adversity, they're gone. I heard a story about two friends camping Two guys that were sitting around the fire when all of a sudden they heard in the bushes some big steps and some bushes start to move and then they're starting to wonder, what in the world is this? All of a sudden, out of the bush comes a giant grizzly bear and he's going to head right towards these two guys, right? So one of the friends, he stands up and he knows that he's got to get real big and real tall, right? He's got to scare this grizzly bear. And the other friend gets up and starts to take off running. So the guy's standing real big and tall. He looks back and he goes, hey, you know we can't outrun him. And he says, I know, I just got to outrun you. That is not the type of friend that we need. That is not a faithful friend. He may be a smart friend, but he is not a faithful friend. We need the friends who support us. Having a friend and being a good friend is a good thing. The Bible says in Ecclesiastes 4.9, two people are better off than one, for they can help each other succeed. If one person falls, the other can reach out and help. But someone who falls alone is in real trouble. Likewise, two people lying close together can keep each other warm. But how can one be warm warm alone? A person standing alone can be attacked and defeated, but two can stand back to back 
and conquer. Three are even better for a triple-braided cord is not easily broken. Now we see this verse a lot in weddings. We use it all the time there. But it's also true for friendship. A good friend increases your odds of success. A good friend provides companionship and safety. However, because we need the support of friends and because the impact of our lives that, that they have, the impact on our lives is so deep, we should be wise about how we pick them. Proverbs twelve twenty six: A righteous man is cautious in friendship, but the ways of the wicked lead them astray. A righteous man is cautious in friendship. Why? Well, because Mama said, you are who you hang out with, right? There may be people in your life who consider, who you consider friends, who are actually taking you further away from God rather than closer to Him. Now, don't get me wrong. I'm not saying that you should lock yourself away in your house, that you should homeschool your kids, that you should try to wait for the perfect friend. But what I am saying is, who are your close friends that influence you? that counsel you, that you hang out with most often. Look at those relationships and ask yourself, are they challenging you to be a better Christian or are you drifting further away from God? Now, I played sports all of my life. And when I think back at uh, the best coaches that I had, they weren't the ones who were fun and easygoing. They're like, yeah, we're going to practice now. Or, oh, we're not. You know, this is have some day. Have the the day off. Go Go and have some fun. The best coaches that I had were the ones that pushed me to be the best. The ones that challenged me. The ones that held me accountable. And in the same way, we need friends that do the same for our Christian lives. Lastly, a good friend is friendly. Proverbs eighteen twenty four: A man who has friends must himself be friendly. But there is a friend who sticks closer than a brother. Now, this is pretty basic, right? If you've got friends and you want to keep them, then you should be friendly. Now, I know people who sit around and they mutter to themselves about how they don't have any friends. Well, guess what? Chances are they probably aren't very friendly. All of the characteristics that we just talked about, we need to do them if we want to be good friends. You want friends, you want to be good friends, then we need to mimic these things. And yet so many of us still mess this up. We don't love our friends at all times. We don't have the grace and truth conversations with them when they're needed because they're too hard, because we don't feel it's our place, we're not good at it. We don't encourage them to be more like Jesus. Why would I want to do that? That's not my job. I want to have fun. I want to be able to go out and let loose a little bit. I'm not their babysitter. I'm their friend. We crowd them. And when they don't want to do stuff with us or when we see them hanging out with that other couple from church, we just cut them off. We aren't there when adversity comes. Not because we don't want to be most often, but because we don't know how to handle adversity in those situations most of the time we don't know how to fix it or we don't know what to say and so rather than try rather than be there just be in open ear we distance ourselves when all when in reality all we need to do is be proverbs eighteen twenty four, be friendly be there listen and love 
Now, it's not all our fault. We're not perfect, and neither are our friends. We're all sinners. We all care about ourselves a little too much. And just as we aren't always friendly, our friends won't always be either. They're going to let us down. And Solomon knew this, and he points out that there is a friend who is closer than a brother to us. The ancient Jews applied this proverb to Christ, using it as a testimony that the divine Messiah would, by his incarnation, become the brother of man. The Lord our God loves us enough to send his son to take on flesh and to become a brother and a friend to us. Jesus said in John chapter 15, verses 14 through 15, You are my friends if you do what I command. I no longer call you slaves because a master doesn't confide in his slaves. Now you are my friends since I have told you everything the Father told me. You didn't choose me, I chose you. I appointed you to go and produce lasting fruit so that the Father will give you whatever you ask for using my name. This is my command, love each other. The ultimate example of friendship, the best that we have, the best that we will ever have, is Jesus. He's the archetype for friendship. His friendship led to the good news, to his redemptive work in our lives. While we were sinners far away from God, he gave his life for his friends so that we can have everlasting life with God again. So as you read Proverbs and you see what wisdom looks like, know that the wisdom presented is found in the makeup of the character of Jesus. He embodies all of it, including friendship. And since Proverbs describes Jesus, it would stand to reason that it would include those who belong to him, you and I, the men and women who abide in the true vine and bear good fruit through a relationship with him. Proverbs describes Jesus, who is our model, our redeemer, our strength. And since Jesus enables by grace, even as he redeems by grace, wise living is within our grasp. You and I can be wise. What a friend we have in Jesus. Let's pray. Father God, we thank you for inspiring scripture through your people. Thank you for the words given to Solomon, passed on from generation to generation. We thank you for the gift of true divine wisdom and for the example of wisdom lived out that we have in your son Jesus. It's our prayer this morning that we would begin to live our lives more and more like him and our friendships with others so that the name and life of Jesus will be glorified. We need Christ-centered relationships to flourish in our community if we're going to see a revival take place. And to that end, Lord, we pray that you would hold us accountable. Give us the courage to speak boldly and wound when needed. Thank you for being our friend, for sending your son to set us free. In the name of Jesus, we pray. Amen. Thanks for listening. If you want to know more about the ministries and mission of Tulare Community Church, visit us at tccalive.org.